be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading part one of The Bluebird from Andrew Lang's The Green Fairy Book. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Once upon a time, there lived a king who was immensely rich. He had broad lands and sacks overflowing with gold and silver. But he did not care a bit for all his riches, because the queen, his wife, was dead. He shut himself up in a little room and knocked his head against the walls for grief until his courtiers were really afraid that he would hurt himself. So they hung feather beds between the tapestry and the walls, and then he could go on knocking his head as long as it was any consolation to him without coming to much harm. All his subjects came to see him and said whatever they thought would comfort him. Some were grave, even gloomy with him, and some agreeable, even gay, but not one could make the least impression upon him. Indeed, He hardly seemed to hear what they said. At last came a lady who was wrapped in a black mantle and seemed to be in the deepest grief. She wept and sobbed until even the king's attention was attracted, and when she said that, Far from coming to try and diminish his grief, she, who had just lost a good husband, was come to add her tears to his, since she knew what he must be feeling. The king redoubled his lamentations. Then he told the sorrowful lady, long stories about the good qualities of his departed queen, and she, in her turn, recounted all the virtues of her departed husband, 
and this passed the time so agreeably that the king quite forgot to thump his head against the feather beds, and the lady did not need to wipe the tears from her great blue eyes as often as before. By degrees, they came to talking about other things in which the king took an interest, and in a wonderfully short time, the whole kingdom was astonished by the news that the king was married again to the sorrowful lady. Now the king had one daughter, who was just fifteen years old. Her name was Fiordelisa, and she was the prettiest and most charming princess imaginable, always gay and merry. The new queen, who also had a daughter, very soon sent for her to come to the palace. Chiritella, for that was her name, had been brought up by her godmother, the fairy Mozilla. But in spite of all the care bestowed upon her, she was neither beautiful nor gracious. Indeed, when the queen saw how ill-tempered and ugly she appeared, Beside Fiordelisa, she was in despair, and she did everything in her power to turn the king against his own daughter, in the hopes that he might take a fancy to Turritella. One day the king said that it was time Fiordelisa and Turritella were married so he would give one of them to the first suitable prince who visited the court. The queen answered, My daughter certainly ought to be the first to be married. She is older than yours, and a thousand times more charming. The king, who hated disputes, said, Very well, it's no affair of mine. Settle it your own way. Very soon after came the news that King Charming, who was the most handsome and magnificent prince in all the country, was on his way to visit the king. As soon as the queen heard this, she set all her jewellers, tailors, weavers and embroiders to work upon splendid dresses and ornaments for Turritella. But she told the king that Fiordelisa had no need for anything new, and the night before the king was to arrive, she bribed her waiting women to steal away all the princess's own dresses 
and jaws, so that when the day came, and Fiordeliza wished to adorn herself as became her high rank, not even a ribbon could she find. However, as she easily guessed who had played her such a trick, she made no complaint, but sent to the merchants for some rich stuffs. But they said that the queen had expressly forbidden them to supply her with any, and they dared not disobey. So the princess had nothing left to put on but the little white frock she had been wearing the day before, and dressed in that, and dressed in that, she went down when the time of the king's arrival came, and sat in a corner, hoping to escape notice. The queen received her guest and great ceremony, and presented him to her daughter, who was gorgeously attired, but so much splendor only made her ugliness more noticeable, and the king, after one glance at her, looked the other way. The queen, however, only thought that he was bashful, and took pains to keep Turritella in full view. King Charming then asked if there was not another princess called Fiordeliza. Yes, said Turritella, pointing with her finger. There she is, trying to keep out of sight because she is not smart. At this Fiordeliza blushed and looked so shy and lovely that the king was fairly astonished. He rose and bowed low before her, saying, Madam, your incomparable beauty needs no adornments. Sire, answered the princess, I assure you that I am not in the habit of wearing dresses as crumpled and untidy as this one, so I should have been better pleased if you had not seen me at all. Impossible, cried King Charming, wherever such a marvellous beautiful princess appears, I can look at nothing else. Here the queen broke in, saying sharply, I assure you, sire, that Fjordeliza is vain enough already. Pray make her no more flattering speeches. The king quite understood that she was not pleased, but that did not matter to him so he admired Fjordeliza to his heart's content, and talked to her for three hours without stopping, 
The queen was in despair, and so was Toritella, when they saw how much the king preferred Fiordelisa. They complained bitterly to the king, and begged and teased him until he at last consented to have the princess shut up somewhere out of sight while King Charming's visit lasted. So that night, as she went to her room, she was seized by four masked figures and carried up into the topmost room of a high tower, where they left her in the deepest dejection. She easily guessed that she was to be kept out of sight for fear the king should fall in love with her. But then, how disappointing that was, for she already liked him very much and would have been quite willing to be chosen for his bride. As King Charming did not know what had happened to the princess, he looked forward impatiently to meeting her again, and he tried to talk about her with the courtiers who were placed in his attendance on him, but by the Queen's orders they would say nothing good of her, but declared that she was vain capricious and bad-tempered, that she tormented her waiting maids, and that, in spite of all the money that the king gave her, she was so mean that she preferred to go about dressed like a poor shepherdess rather than spend any of it. All these things vexed the king very much, and he was silent. It is true, thought he, that she was very poorly dressed, but then she was so ashamed that it proves that she was not accustomed to be so. I cannot believe that with that lovely face she can be as ill-tempered and contemptible as they say. No, no, the queen must be jealous of her for the sake of her ugly daughter, and so these evil reports are spread. The courtiers could not help seeing that what they had told the king did not please him, and one of them cunningly began to praise Fiordelisa, when he could talk to the king without being heard by others. King Charming thereupon became so cheerful and interested in all he said, that it was easy to guess how much he admired the princess. So when the queen sent for the courtiers and questioned them about all they had found out, 
their report confirmed her worst fears. As to the poor Princess Fiordelisa, she cried all night without stopping. It would have been quite bad enough to be shut up in this gloomy tower before I had ever seen King Charming, she said. But now when he is here and they are all enjoying themselves with him, it is too unkind. The next day the Queen sent King Charming splendid presents of jewels and rich stuffs, and among other things, an ornament made expressly in honour of the approaching wedding. It was a heart cut out of one huge ruby, and was surrounded by several diamond arrows, and pierced by one. A golden true lover's knot above the heart bore the motto, But one can wound me, and the whole jewel was hung upon a chain of immense pearls. Never since the world has been a world had such a thing been made, and the king was quite amazed when it was presented to him. The page who brought it begged him to accept it from the princess who chose him to be her knight. What, cried he, does the lovely princess Fiordelisa deign to think of me in this amiable, encouraging way? You confuse the name, sire, said the page hastily. I come on behalf of the Princess Turritella. Oh, it is Turritella who wishes me to be her knight, said the king coldly. I am sorry that I cannot accept the honour, and he sent the splendid gifts back to the queen and Turritella who were furiously angry at the contempt with which they were treated. As soon as he possibly could, King Charming went to see the king and queen, and as he entered the hall he looked for Fiordelisa, and every time anyone came in, he started round to see who it was and was altogether so uneasy and dissatisfied that the queen saw it plainly. But she would not take any notice, and talked of nothing but the entertainments she was planning. The prince answered at random, and presently asked if he was not to have the pleasure of seeing the Princess Fiordelisa. Sire, answered the Queen haughtily, her father has ordered that she shall not leave her own apartments 
until my daughter is married. What can be the reason for keeping that lovely princess prisoner? cried the king in great indignation. That I do not know, answered the queen, and even if I did, I might not feel bound to tell you. The king was terribly angry at being thwarted like this. He felt certain that Turitella was to blame for it, so casting a furious glance at her, he abruptly took leave of the queen and returned to his own apartments. There he said to a young squire whom he had brought with him, I would give all that I have in the world to gain the good will of one of the princess's waiting women and obtain a moment's speech with Fiordelisa. Nothing could be easier, said the young squire, and he very soon made friends with one of the ladies, who told him that in the evening... Fiordelisa would be at a little window which looked out into the garden where he could come and talk to her. Only, she said, he must take very great care not to be seen as it would be as much as her place was worth to be caught helping King Charming to see the princess The squire was delighted and promised all she asked, but the moment he had run off to announce his success to the king, the false waiting woman went and told the queen all that had passed. She at once determined that her own daughter should be at the little window and she taught her so well all she was to say and do, that even the stupid Turitella could make no mistake. The night was so dark that the king had not a chance of finding out the trick that was being played upon him, so he approached the window with the greatest delight, and said, everything that he had been longing to say to Fiordelisa to persuade her of his love for her. Turritella answered as she had been taught that she was very unhappy and that there was no chance of her being better treated by the queen until her daughter was married. And then the king entreated her to marry him, and thereupon he drew his ring from his finger and put it upon Turritella's, and she answered him as well as she could. The king could not help thinking that she did not say exactly what he would have expected from his darling Fiordelisa but he persuaded himself that the fear of being surprised by the queen 
was making her awkward and unnatural. She would not leave her until she had promised to see him again the next night, which Turritella did willingly enough. The queen was overjoyed at the success of her stratagem, and promised herself that all would now be as she wished, and sure enough, as soon as it was dark the following night, the king came, bringing with him a chariot which had been given him by an enchanter who was his friend. This chariot was drawn by flying frogs, and the king easily persuaded Turritella to come out and let him put her into it, then mounting beside her, cried triumphantly, Now, my princess, you are free. Where will it please you that we shall hold our wedding? And Turritella, with her head muffled in her mantle, answered that the fairy Mazilla was her godmother, and that she would like it to be at her castle. So the king told the frogs, who had the map of the whole world in their heads, and very soon he and Turritella were set down at the castle of the fairy Mazilla. The king would certainly have found out his mistake the moment they stepped into the brilliantly lighted castle, but Turritella held her mantle more closely round her and asked to see the fairy by herself and quickly told her all that had happened and how she had succeeded in deceiving King Charming. Oh, my daughter, said the fairy, I see we have no easy task before us. He loves Fiordeliza so much that he will not be easily pacified. I feel sure he will defy us. Meanwhile, the king was waiting in a splendid room with diamond walls, so clear that he could see the fairy and Turritella as they stood whispering together, and he was very much puzzled. Who can have betrayed us, he said to himself. How comes our enemy here? She must be plotting to prevent our marriage. Why doesn't my lovely Fiordeliza make haste and come hack to me? But it was more than anything he had imagined when the fairy Mazilla entered, leading Turritella by the hand, and said to him, King Charming, here is the Princess Turritella to whom you have plighted your fate. Let us have the wedding at once. I, cried the king, I marry that little creature. What 
do you take me for? I have promised her nothing. Say no more. Have you no respect for a fairy? cried she angrily. Yes, madam, answered the king. I am very prepared to respect you as much as fairy can be respected, if you will give me back my princess. Am I not here? interrupted Turritella. Here is the ring you gave me. With whom did you talk at the little window, if it was not me? What? cried the king angrily. Have I been altogether deceived and deluded? Where is my chariot? Not another moment will I stay here. Oh-ho, said the fairy, not so fast, and she touched his feet, which instantly became as firmly fixed to the floor as if they had been nailed there. Oh, do whatever you like with me, said the king. You may turn me to stone, but I will marry no one but Fjordeliza. And not another word would he say, though the fairy scolded and threatened, and Turritella wept and raged for twenty days and twenty nights. At last the fairy Mozilla said furiously, for she was quite tired out by his obstinacy. Choose whether you will marry my goddaughter, or do penance seven years for breaking your word to her. And then the king cried gaily, Pray do whatever you like with me, as long as you deliver me from this ugly scold. Scold, cried Turritella, angrily. Who are you, I should like to know, that you dare to call me a scold, a miserable king who breaks his word and goes about in a chariot drawn by croaking frogs out of a marsh? Let us have no more of these insults, cried the fairy. Fly from that window, ungrateful king, and for seven years be a bluebird. As she spoke, the king's face altered, his arms turned to wings, his feet to little crooked black claws. In a moment he had a slender body like a bird, covered with shining blue feathers. His beak was like ivory, his eyes were like bright stars, and a crown of white feathers adorned his head. As soon as the transformation was complete, the king uttered a dolorous cry and fled through the open window. 
pursued by the mocking laughter of Turritella and the fairy Mozilla. He flew on until he reached the thickest part of the wood, and there, perched upon a cypress tree, he bewailed his miserable fate. Alas, in seven years who knows what may happen to my darling Fjordaliza, he said. Her cruel stepmother may have married her to someone else before I am myself again, and then what good will life be to me? In the meantime, the fairy Mozilla had sent Turritella back to the queen, who was all anxiety to know about the wedding, had gone off. But when her daughter arrived and told her all that had happened, she was terribly angry, and of course all her wrath fell upon Fjordaliza. She shall have cause to repent that the king admires her, said the queen, nodding her head meaningly, and then she and Turritella went up to the little room in the tower where the princess was imprisoned. Fjordaliza was immensely surprised to see that Turritella was wearing a royal mantle and a diamond crown, and her heart sank when the queen said, My daughter is come to show you some of her wedding presents for she is King Charming's bride, and they are the happiest pair in the world. He loves her to distraction. All this time Turritella was spreading out lace and jewels and rich brocades and ribbons before Fjordaliza's unwilling eyes and taking good care to display King Charming's ring, which she wore upon her thumb. The princess recognized it as soon as her eyes fell upon it, and after that she could no longer doubt that he had indeed married Turritella. In despair she cried, Take away these miserable gouds. What pleasure has a wretched captive in the sight of them? And then she fell insensible upon the floor, and the cruel queen laughed maliciously and went away with Turritella, leaving her there without comfort or aid. That night the queen said to the king that his daughter was so infatuated with King Charming, in spite of his never having shown any preference for her, that it was just as well she should stay in the tower until she came to her senses. To which he answered that it was her affair, and she should give what orders she pleased about the princess. 
When the unhappy Fjordaliza recovered and remembered all she had just heard, she began to cry bitterly, believing that King Charming was lost to her forever. And all night long she sat at her open window, sighing and lamenting. But when it was dawn, she crept away into the darkest corner of her little room and sat there, too unhappy to care about anything. As soon as night came again, she once more leaned out into the darkness and bewailed her miserable lot. Now it happened that King Charming, or rather the Bluebird, had been flying round the palace in the hope of seeing his beloved princess, but had not dared to go near the windows for fear of her being seen and recognised by Turritella. When night fell, he had not succeeded in discovering where Fjordaliza was imprisoned, and, weary and sad, he perched upon a branch of a tall fir tree which grew close to the tower, and began to sing himself to sleep. As soon as the sound of a soft voice lamenting attracted his attention, and listening intently, he heard it say, Ah, cruel queen, what have I ever done to be imprisoned like this? And was I not unhappy enough before that you must needs come and taunt me with the happiness your daughter is enjoying now she is King Charming's bride? The bluebird, greatly surprised, waited impatiently for the dawn, and the moment it was light, flew off to see who it could have been who spoke thus. But he found the window shut and could see no one. The next night, however, he was on the watch and by the clear moonlight he saw that the sorrowful lady at the window was Fjordaliza herself. My princess, have I found you at last, said he, alighting close to her. Who is speaking to me, cried the princess in great surprise. Only a moment since you mentioned my name, and now you do not know me, Fjordaliza, said he sadly. But no wonder since I am nothing but a bluebird, and must remain one for seven years. What, little bluebird, are you really the powerful King Charming, said the princess, caressing him. It is too true, he answered, for being faithful to you I am thus punished. But believe me, 
if it were for twice as long I would bear it joyfully rather than give you up. Oh, what are you telling me? cried the princess. Has not your bride, Taritella, just visited me, wearing the royal mantle and the diamond crown you gave her? I cannot be mistaken, for I saw your ring upon her thumb. Then the bluebird was furiously angry and told the princess all that had happened, how he had been deceived into carrying off Turritella, and how, for refusing to marry her, the fairy Mozilla had condemned him to be a bluebird for seven years. The princess was very happy when she heard how faithful her lover was, and would never have tired of hearing his loving speeches and explanations. But too soon the sun rose, and they had to part lest the bluebird should be discovered. After promising to come again to the princess's window as soon as it was dark, he flew away and hid himself in a little hole in the fir tree, while Fjordeliza remained devoted by anxiety, lest he should be caught in a trap or eaten up by an eagle. But the bluebird did not long stay in his hiding place. He flew away and away, until he came to his own palace and got into it through a broken window and there he found the cabinet where his jewels were kept and chose out a splendid diamond ring as a present for the princess. By the time he got back, Fiordaliza was sitting waiting for him by the open window and when he gave her the ring, she scolded him gently for having run such a risk to get it for her. Promise me that you will wear it always, said the bluebird, and the princess promised on condition he should come and see her in the day as well as by night. They talked all night long, and the next morning the bluebird flew off to his kingdom and crept into his palace through the broken window and chose from his treasures two bracelets, each cut out of a single emerald. When he presented them to the princess, she shook her head at him reproachfully, saying, Do you think I love you so little that I need all these gifts to remind me of you? And he answered, No, my princess, but I love you so much that I feel I cannot express it, try as I may. I only bring you these worthless trifles 
to show that I have not ceased to think of you, though I have been obliged to leave you for a time. The following night he gave Fjordeliza a watch set in a single pearl. The princess laughed a little when she saw it and said, You may well give me a watch, for since I have known you I have lost the power of measuring time. The hours you spend with me pass like minutes, and the hours that I drag through without you seem like years. Ah, princess, they cannot seem so long to you as they do to me, he answered. Day by day, he brought more beautiful things for the princess. Diamonds and rubies and opals. And at night, she decked herself with them to please him. But by day, she hid them in her straw mattress. When the sun shone, the bluebird hidden in the tall fir tree, sang to her so sweetly that all the passers-by wondered and said that the wood was inhabited by a spirit. And so two years slipped away, and still the princess was a prisoner, and Turritella was not married but they always answered that they would marry Fjordeliza with pleasure, but not Turritella on any account. This displeased the queen terribly. Fjordeliza must be in league with them to annoy me, she said. Let us go and accuse her of it. So she and Turritella went up into the tower. Now it happened that it was nearly midnight, and Fjordelisa, all decked with jewels, was sitting at the window with the bluebird. She heard the princess and her lover singing together a little song he had just taught her. These were the words. Oh, what a luckless pair we are, one in a prison and one in a tree. All our trouble and anguish came from our faithfulness spoiling our enemy's game. But vainly they practice their cruel arts for naught can sever our two fond hearts. They sound melancholy, perhaps, but the two voices sang them gaily enough, and the queen burst open the door, crying, Ah, my Turritella, there is some treachery going on here. As soon as she saw her, Fjordeliza, with great presence of mind, hastily shut her little window, that the bluebird might 
have time to escape, and then turned to meet the queen, who overwhelmed her with a torrent of reproaches. Your intrigues are discovered, madam, she said furiously, and you need not hope that your high rank will save you from the punishment you deserve. And with whom do you accuse me of intriguing, madam? said the princess. Have I not been your prisoner these two years, and who have I seen except the gallus sent by you? While she spoke, The queen and Turritella were looking at her in the greatest surprise. Perfectly dazzled by her beauty and the splendor of her jewels, and the queen said, If one may ask, madame, where did you get all these diamonds? Perhaps you mean to tell me you have discovered a mine of them in the tower. I certainly did find them here, answered the princess. And pray, said the queen, her wrath increasing every moment. For whose admiration are you decked out like this, since I have often seen you not half as fine on the most important occasions at court? For my own, answered Fjordeliza, you must admit that I have had plenty of time on my hands, so you cannot be surprised at my spending some of it in making myself smart. That's all very fine, said the queen suspiciously. I think I will look about and see for myself. So she and Turritella began to search every corner of the little room, and when they came to the straw mattress, out fell such a quantity of pearls, diamonds, rubies, opals, emeralds, and sapphires, that they were amazed and could not tell what to think. But the queen resolved to hide somewhere a packet of false letters to prove that the princess had been conspiring with the king's enemies, and she chose the chimney as a good place. Fortunately for Fjordeliza, This was exactly where the bluebird had perched himself, to keep an eye upon her proceedings and try to avert danger from his beloved princess, and now he cried, Beware, Fjordelisa, your false enemy is plotting against you. This strange voice so frightened the queen that she took the letter and went away hastily with Curitella, and they held a council to try and devise some means of finding out what fairy or enchanter 
was favouring the princess. At last they sent one of the queen's maids to wait upon Fjordeliza, and told her to pretend to be quite stupid and to see and hear nothing, while she was really to watch the princess day and night and keep the queen informed of all her doings. Poor Fjordeliza, who guessed she was sent as a spy, was in despair and cried bitterly that she dared not see her dear bluebird for fear that some evil might happen to him if he were discovered. The days were so long and the nights so dull, but for a whole month she never went near her little window, lest he should fly to her as he used to do. 